Welcome to Tree Talking Time, where we talk all things tree dogs. From the smallest fights to the largest hounds, drink squirrels to bears and everything in between. And from time to time, we might even run a little fast game. Last lion of the year, I took up a young man that uh, he had never even killed a predator in his life. And he just started hunting two years ago so he could teach his four children how to hunt. So he ends up with just me, a friend of mine, brought him along. And we run a lion from, oh, like 1030 in the morning. And it finally went in a cave at 430 in the afternoon. So now we're digging way back in 45, 50 feet back in a cave. Jeez. <laughs> and it was a cave out of, built out of boulders, and there was a frozen crick in it. Dang they on. had to crawl in there on your belly, and then it had light inside from the gaps in the crack there in the boulder holes. But where that line was at, it was up in a, back in a back cavern in the axis that threw a hole about chest diameter so that's sketchy get up huh i said that's sketchy (laughs) crawling through a hole like just big enough for you to get your chest through yeah yeah you had to like bend down and get your arms up through get get all the way in and and he's trying to shoot at his back about 15 feet he finally got it shot. He come out of that hole and he looks at me and he says, wow, that's an adrenaline rush. He stuck his hand out and it was just trembling. <laughs> <laughs> Mine would be too. <laughs> uh, yeah, just some of the fun, but yeah, the dogs. I took a took one of my older dogs that day and a young dog and a young dog I had that day didn't, he's got no respect and he got hung up about the last 300 yards and I'm assuming that must have been where the cat had laid down for the day okay so the old dog went in and and finished out finished out the track so I just leased him up and brought him out and waited for the younger one to bolt in there and here he comes <laughs> Got them both leashed up. Otherwise, that young dog would have went right in there. I know he'd have went right in there and he'd have been dead. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Because once you get into a it's cave, there's no, there's nowhere to go. No. And that guy, he, yeah, he just, he's got no fear whatsoever. Well, Perry, why don't you introduce yourself? Well, I'm Perry Elliott with Wyoming Mountain Curves. He started raising these guys about 20 years ago. And in my life, I retired from the railroad after 32 years and hunting trap pretty much full time anymore. Run dogs on pretty much just cats, bobcats, and lions. Okay. I should get into the dog and coyotes, but I just haven't, I don't know, just mm-hmm. haven't took a big interest in it yet. I know from we talked yesterday, and then also I was looking at your website. It said uh, you had hounds for 15 years? Yep. What kind of hounds did you run when you got started? Uh, we ran mostly walkers, but had some plots. And walker, blue tick cross, blue tick. Yeah, that's about all I tried. 
you tried a little variety then. Yeah, tried you know tried a few of them. Yeah, didn't see a whole lot of difference. I mean, yeah, we put up some cats and stuff with them. Mm-hmm. They did what they were supposed to do. Yeah. What made you want to try a mountain cur or a cur in general? Uh, kind of evolved over time. Just the hard headedness of a a hound dog and his hunting style, hunting for himself. Mm-hmm. Um, just one too many times waiting for a dog to come back. You know, this was before you had all the training callers. Yeah. So, you know, they they made Perry not Perry anymore. <laughs> uh, so I just, you know, I just kind of went, you know, this ain't the dog's fault. He's bred to do what he's doing. And uh, I'm not figuring him out or whatever. I, don't, I need to do something different. Mm-hmm. There's got to be something else out there with less problems. Yeah. And I think that that's a, a big reason that people need to do their their research when they get into anything or even any any particular breed or a line of dogs because you can have a lot of variety even within a breed from line to line so you know kind of learning a little bit about the dogs that you're looking to hunt if you're able to i mean can save you a lot of aggravation and a lot of headache yeah yeah you can get a lot of invested in a dog i mean the purchase price is usually you know, not that much expenditure. Most of it mm-hmm. getting trained up and hunting right. You know, that's yep. That's most of your investment. But um, yeah, that was another thing that you know, after getting the curve dog, they're so easy to train. Um, off game, off game training is just a couple corrections on a on a training caller and call on them. Yeah. Uh, I call them from two, three miles away with just tone on a hot track. Wow. Um, you know, you just, you, after you've run hounds for a number of years, you, you, you don't think there's anything like that <laughs> out there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's that's something, you know, I talk to a lot of guys that call me about dogs. They want to know those kinds of things. Many guys don't even believe that that's true. <laughs> I've hunted with enough cur dogs that I, I, can, I can believe it. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons I, I like my dogs is I hunt a lot of patch woods, and it's real easy to get on a, you know, a neighboring property around here. And so I needed a dog that I could easily call off of a track as much as I hate doing it. You know, you get over into the wrong neighbors, you're getting the cops called. So Cause a lot of times the wrong neighbor is, you know, housing development with 40 houses. <laughs> There's a, a tree line behind it that the coon like to hide in. Yeah, the guys I know back east run them on coons or on coons and squirrels. They say all they do is it's a momentary shock. Mm-hmm. If they're getting ready to cross a road, they just bump them real quick and they they cease right there they're done yep um yeah i mean like i don't know what was it a couple years ago we a buddy of mine that i grew up with we was out trying to get a lion and and the dogs were a mile and a half away and 
I told him that morning, I said, my grandson's birthday party happening at 1 o'clock. I don't care what we're doing, we're going to be back for that. So at 9, I got dogs a mile and a half away. And he he looked at me and said, uh, what are we going to do now? I said, I'm just telling him they'll come back. He, him and I had got hounds together, so... He's like, oh, I got to see this. So I told him, and then I'm back. We get in the truck and load up. He looks at me and he says, You know, if we had them hound dogs, what would we be doing? We'd have to go get them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But one of the reasons I switched and, and stayed switched. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just a totally different animal. And then. I think you probably know this. You work with cur dogs. Uh, and I take mine on backpacking trips and fishing. And, mm-hmm. um, you can do about anything with them. Friends of mine that got ranches, they run bobcats and lions with them and dog coyotes with them. And then if they wound an elk, it's blood track for them too. Yep. Uh that's actually how I found your website probably almost 10 years ago was a rancher that had, has bought some dogs off of you and they had a, a link on their website to your website, the uh, Shepherdsons. Yep. Reno. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That was my, that was Reno. the first time I saw your, I found your website. Like I said, that was eight, 10 years ago. Yep. Yeah. Reno, what's he, he's got. He's got one now from me, about three years old. He moved off of that ranch and, you know, 300 acres down along the creek. And he's every time I let that dog go, he's down there killing coons. Yeah, he did that. Yeah, I sold some dogs to a guy down in Texas that he's got a big kennel full of all kinds of dogs. And uh, he just called the other day wanting a third one. Nice. I got 120 dogs in my kennel, about every kind of breed you would ever imagine to hunt what I want. If you can hunt with a dog, I got a dog for that. Jeez. For that. And, yeah, when he called for a third one, I asked him, I said, what you, what you got in mind? He says, well, my wife uses the first one I got from you for dog and coyotes. That's her favorite dog ever. Nice. And, and the younger one I got, I, I use him for blood tracking, and I, and make big money on him on a good blood tracking dog. And he says, yeah, he's already working those solid. He said, so we need to get another one from you. And he told me, Perry, that's the, that's the gamiest, easiest working dog I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. And he said, take it from me. I've, I've raised dogs for 40 years. I haven't found a close second, which to me was a pretty flowery. Yeah. You know. And to have that many dogs in your kennel and want another one from you. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, they're they're a dog. There ain't nothing perfect about any dog. Mm -hmm. But, so, kind of take that stuff with a grain of salt. You know, he must be putting time in with them and working them. Get them there. Definitely. Now, when you got your start with mountain curs, where did you go? You know, I went since living out in Wyoming. 
when I decided I was going to move out of a hound for another trailing dog, I went to Coon Hound Magazine and Full Cry. I'd always subscribed to those. And, and I remembered some articles in there, little pieces about cur dogs. Mm-hmm. So I started checking around, asking guys, you know, in different parts of Wyoming. And nobody around here really knew anything about a cur dog. They had heard of uh, leopard curs. One yeah. guy heard of a Stevens cur. Mm-hmm. So in them two magazines, I came up with uh, the presidents of two organizations that sounded like they might fit me. One of them was the Kimmer stock with Robert Kimmer. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the president of his outfit. And then Carl Smith out of Tennessee, he was the president of his organization. And my thinking was, if these guys don't produce good dogs, I can move along somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, so I got dogs from both of them guys. And I liked them all. I just liked the original mountain cur better. They they were just a little bit better around uh, family and and little kids. And camera dogs are real good hunting dogs. Mm-hmm. Just they were a little edgy. So I went with the original mountain cur breed, and uh, I stuck with that. Okay. You said you got your first dogs from Carl. Have you ever gotten any dogs from anybody else? You know, I have. Um, I've gotten uh, a dog from Alan Franklin. Okay. Um, I've gotten, what, one or two from Mary and Donnie Clark. Mm-hmm. I, still like the, I still like the Smith bred dog with some other breeding in it. Mm-hmm. Actually, one of the first dogs I got, which a lot of my blood comes from, was uh, a Carl Smith bred dog. And on his female side, he had a lot of a lot of Kemmer blood in him. Okay. Um, but yeah, lifetime favorite type of dog. Now, what dog was that? I call him old Jake dog. He, uh, dude, man, his brain's leaking out of him fast. Uh, his only slight weakness was, I wish he had a little stronger nose. Okay. But what he did, what he lacked in nose, he made up in intelligence. So he could figure things out. Yeah. And then his agility was astounding. Climb fifteen foot cliff walls. Jeez! Just all he needed was like a little inch or two inch ledge, just like a cat. Yeah. I'm sure so, in that rocky country of yours, that comes in handy. Oh yeah, yeah. Actually, there's <laughs> there's country out up the, the hound guys don't do that. They don't. They don't typically have that high agility like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I've even run bobcats in some of them. They're, all they are is a mountain built out of boulders. Yeah. Holes everywhere. Mm. Yeah. That's uh, hard to run a bobcat in. Oh, yeah. You would never think you'd catch a bobcat in that. Actually, the first one I turned out on, yeah, I sat down and picked up, watched them on the GPS, and I thought, oh, you ain't going to catch no bobcat up there. They did. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. 
and they go, well, stop for a few minutes, and then they'd keep moving, and then they'd move again, and stop, and then move again, and finally they stopped, and you think, oh, what <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't think that is impressive actually that first one I treat in there I sold that cat and I don't know if anybody's going to believe it but yeah top lot bobcat I sold it for $3,900 ooh very nice some Chinese guy at the auction bought him that's pretty cool yeah that kind of makes your day <laughs> I would I would bet <laughs> yeah and the year before uh, two of the cats, the dogs caught in the eye. They were top lot cats. You got twenty eight hundred a piece for two of those two. They kind of pay for themselves in my world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're, but, you can get prices like that. Yeah, I would imagine getting a handful of top lot cats. I mean, you your cats are pretty good spotted then. Yeah, we just you know most of that you have to live in an area where you have that kind of quality. I'm just blessed just to live in a place. That have that but then you have to you know you have to know how to handle them after you get them you can oh, ruin yeah. a good cat like that if you don't know how to work them mm-hmm. yeah always finding something new there you go so you said you've been breeding these dogs for 20-ish years yep how many dogs do you currently have i got 12 right now okay so you keep a decent kennel full yeah i got a few but I don't know if I could handle any more trying to get them to hunt and make sure everything works right. Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I took on a 13th one here a couple months ago. I had one born that was a blue one. I've never okay never even had seen one. Mm-hmm. A, a blue brindle. Yeah. yeah he's, you've seen those? Oh, yeah. When I got involved with mountain curs, I hunted a lot of dogs that were heavy jukebox bred or at least half kind of jukebox bred, which... A lot of that blue, blue dogs come from the jukebox breeding. Yeah, jukebox. Yeah, he. Hmm, yeah, I think there's a Mary and Donnie Clark. Bubba shot the jukebox. Was a blue dog, I think. Yep. You know that dog too, don't you? Yeah. Donnie and Mary. They yeah. had they had quite a few uh, jukebox bred dogs, if I remember correctly. Yep. So. Yeah, I don't think these guys. Uh, I don't think they have any jukebox breeding. Them, but yeah, I'd, what I'd run so far, I hadn't hadn't seen one pop out of the woodwork. But mm-hmm. this one pop out at nine weeks old. He's already he's already wanting to work the track. Nice, yeah, kind of fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Definitely, <laughs> pups like that are, are are fun, especially when you've been breeding them for as long as you have, and you see that culmination of all that work. And you know, at such an early age, things just start kind of falling in place already. You know, that natural ability coming through. Yeah, it really kind of makes you feel good when you get guys reporting, you know, they'll want to a guy in Iowa and just little females tracking and tree and coon. And his description, like a like a three or four year old adult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're like, wow, at four and a half months, that's awfully young. Yeah. Impressive, yeah, that's for sure. A couple sure. other guys, but even that same winter, they ran theirs. They both, let's see, I have three dogs that year. They were treeing uh, mountain lions at six months old. Actually, one, he was working as a guide running lions with these dogs. Called me the next spring. 
And he said, yeah, I run, I run lions. I got eight lions for clients last year. I said, well, what other dogs did you have? He said, just them two pups. <laughs> you did what? I just, you, you did puppies. what? <laughs> <laughs> you took paying clients out with two puppies? Yeah. Are you nuts? He said, well, they treat every coon they ever, they ever run down. He said, they had nothing ever get away from them, and they were starting to track, run bobcats, so... I figured lions was easy. <laughs> That's pretty confident. <laughs> yeah, you paid yeah. off for him, but I'm with you. I don't think I <laughs> take paying clients with puppies. <laughs> or at least only puppies. <laughs> I, mean, I told him, I said, he tried something I wouldn't have tried. Mm-hmm. He thought I was crazy. He's like, yeah, you don't trust your dogs as far as you should. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. Yeah, and there was another one, a uh, litter mate to one of those that guy had. I sold to a guy in KC, Wyoming. And he told me he'd never trained a dog before. And he got a hold of me the next spring wanting a second one. And so I asked him how, how his winter went. And he said, I had the funnest winter I've ever had in my life. There you go. He said, he said, that little dog treated me seven bobcats and 13 lions all by herself. And I never did anything. She just did it all on her own. Mm-hmm. So he got one of the rare ones. Yeah. Ain't very many of them around. Mm-hmm. How do your mountain curs hunt by comparison? I mean, obviously, I don't know. If, have you ever been east to hunt with anybody? Or did you just get dogs and try them? Okay, hey, say that again. How do they hunt what? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I started out ans- asking one question and kind of switched. Have you ever been <laughs> Have you ever been east and hunted with mountain curs on the east coast, like coon and squirrel hunting? On the east coast? Yeah, like have you ever been, like before you got them or when you started getting them, have you ever come and, and hunted out here with a lot of the guys out here that you got dogs from? No. Uh-uh. Okay. No, I got my first. Let's see. I had that one out of Robert Kimmer. I had him flown to Denver. And then I had a nephew living in Tennessee. But the other one I got from Colonel Smith. I, he flew him back here on an airplane. So um, yeah, I've been back here a bunch since, but I'd never have one hunting with any of them guys. I, I went to a competition there and okay. watched some of that. But no, I haven't. That's probably a lot of fun, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. I was just curious if, like, if you had actually seen dogs and how they worked over here versus how your dogs work out there. It was kind of uh-uh. where I was nope. going with that. I haven't. Well, how do you your might dogs educate hunt? me on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm curious as to how your dogs hunt and how and just how it's different. If if it's different, how- I mean. You know, all I know the way the way a lot of them guys around there are using them for squirrels is, and then this is just them telling me, they typically like one that stays a little closer, and then of course uh, the guys I talk to they want to they want a squirrel dog especially to tree a squirrel shoot a tree a tree another one you know just all day mm-hmm. keep going bang bang bang, um, so they're looking for a little higher energy tighter running, 
Um, good nosed dog that even if a squirrel didn't come out of a tree, they could treat, they could locate it. Night hunt, you know, those guys are, they look for something to run a little further. But the guys that in the competition that like to win those combo hunts, I think what I've put together over the years, dogs that can do that, uh, they, they tend to have a little higher degree of brain in them. Mm-hmm. A little different to hunt a coon at night versus a squirrel in the daytime. You know, listening listening to them and putting together what I needed out here, a lot of what they look for mm-hmm. um, isn't, don't, wouldn't work that great here. Yeah. So I look for a dog that uh, he wants to range real wide. I prefer the ones that when you're just even just out walking, it'll go a mile each side of you. Okay. And then come back and check in. For a cat dog, I lean towards one that's got just a little bit bigger head. Seeing where that translates to a little better nose power. Okay. Um, usually what you get when you get a bigger head, you get a little bigger body too. Mm-hmm. And you do lose some agility. Now how big do your dogs run typically? Uh, I got them to 50 pounds, 40, 48 to 50, mm-hmm. but I prefer for myself, I prefer one in the low 40s. Okay. I like them to be a little leggy and, and, uh, longer bodied, mm-hmm. you know, something set up with a little speed on them, a little bit more agility. Yeah. You like that too? Yeah, I really do. I, I, I like a... I like a male dog closer to that 50 pound, but I like a female about 40. Yeah. And I, and I agree. I like, I'd rather have some legs and a tight bodied dog. I like my females more in, uh, between 30 and 35. Okay. To get that smaller male, you gotta have a, you have a smaller female. Yep. Out here, you know, what I've watched is when you get a dog built that way, you don't have the feet problems and joint problems. You don't have endurance issues. Mm-hmm. And I, I think typically you don't have the health issues. I can see. Smaller dogs, I, th- I, um, I believe they're set up kind of like a human. You get a six foot eight man, his joint and feet, mm-hmm. yeah, they're just not going to last as long as some guy that's five, seven, five, eight. It just ain't going to. Yeah. So a bigger dog, um, they just ain't got the goal that a smaller dog has. Yeah. I can understand that, and I, th- I think that's pretty good logic. I mean, it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Yeah. You know, it depends on what part of the country you're in and what kind of terrain you're hunting. Definitely. Yeah, Especially if those smaller dogs can navigate through that rocky country you have it makes perfect sense why that would be what you prefer oh yeah yeah it's i have a 50 pound dog and love him to death he's got he's got a killer nose on him runs a good solid two-day-old track wow um but if it's a six seven hour run uh, especially in really rocky country just the way he grabs rock with his feet he'll wear all of his nails down to the quick now he don't have blisters or anything but he still 
the tips of his toes are sore. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I got a brother to him that's 43 pounds. He goes all day, and he's older than the bigger one. Okay. So you, you've even seen it firsthand, like, very clearly. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, there's a lot. of, And then the agility, um, you know, sometimes agility can just be the desire of the dog to want to get through everything. Mm-hmm. But you still have to have that physical ability to do it. So, yeah, around bobcats, you know, it's most all that. It's all cliff country around here. Mm-hmm. I got to build and maneuver all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, well, bobcat race—you can't help them. You gotta, you know, if you're catching up to them, you ain't ever gonna catch them. Yeah. Now you just mentioned that your dog can run a two-day-old lion track, and I understand yep. a lot of that plays on conditions and everything. Absolutely. But what Absolutely. you ran hounds? So how do your how does the nose for your mountain curs compare to the hounds that you've hunted with? Well, just like a cur dog, a hound, you know, just depending on his breeding. But, you know, just just go with averages. The average mm-hmm. hound dog and the average cur dog, yeah, I can, I can meet all those averages. Okay. I've run onto something very interesting here recently. I sold a pup to a guy in Wisconsin that's training a female for search and rescue work. Okay. So he's been emailing me training. Mm-hmm. So at seven months, this dog's first time of tracking a human in in town. Of course, you've got pavement and lawns, and so he takes a cloth, wipes a wipes a gal's face, sends the gal out with his son, who the dog is familiar with. They get in a fork on a sidewalk. The kid goes one way. The gal that the dog's supposed to find goes the other way. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, the dog went the kid way for like 10 yards and then came back and continued on where the, where the gal went. And he told me, he says, when, she, when the dog got to a berm, it kind of kept coming back and sniffing the area like something was up and it would and then she would go down the trail a little ways and then come back to this berm so then he said then she finally turned around and worked track out and found the gal nice well he got to talking to that gal and he, she said yeah about three hours ago um that berm would have been downwind to me. I was about 30 yards from it visiting with somebody so I stood there for a while talking Mm-hmm. So he was pretty impressed that that dog that scent would hung up on that rock, yeah. And that that dog, as a seven month old puppy, picked that up, but then finished working up that track. That is impressive. Yeah, something in the hunting world. I I would never, <laughs> you'd never know that that even hat would happen. Yeah, unfortunately, you don't get that kind of inf- that feedback like you do with the search and rescue dog in your training. In my training? No, I'm saying like when with the search and rescue training, you can actually ask the person what they did, so you get that yep. feedback. Where with when we're hunting wild animals, you don't get any sort of feedback yep. like that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy. And he emailed me one more time after that training. He went to like a 
search and rescue where they have a bunch of certified dogs mm-hmm. and they're training and working the certified dogs. Okay. And yeah, and again, this is in town and they're around buildings and other people. Um, and then he's like, I don't know why, but they made me go last <laughs> with my seven, eight month old puppy. Yeah. So he said we did the same thing, wiped a rag on a person's cheek and um, put the bag, put the rag in a plastic bag, stuck it in my pocket. And they, they ran the, tr- they ran the route. And then of course, all these other dogs are running the route ahead of him. Mm-hmm. And they're not only going out, they're coming back. So all that's polluting the track. Yeah, so he's like, um, he was in his mind, out of, you know, not being there, he said if that dog was trying to shortcut something, he would have just tracked one of the other dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, but where everybody was zigzagging, you know, coming back, and everybody took the same path to go back to wherever they came from. But he was saying that track went around the end of a building where the wind was blowing downwind. So he said the dog's working, working that, and it went off trail, downwind, and then they hooked back. So, you know, he's like, I'll let, let the dog make mistakes. Got to figure all this out herself. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so he didn't help her. She, she went down and come back around the building, went out in the, in a forest chunk and found the, found the search person and but Very nice. yeah just stuff that a hunting community we just don't do mm-hmm. so yeah it's been really interesting but yeah he's like all the dog gurus that's trained shepherds and all different breeds for that kind of work they're going to, yeah this little dog is way advanced already that's impressive yeah, so I'm excited to see how that finishes out. Definitely. You've never heard of anything like that? No. That is something that I have never really delved into is the search and rescue world, and so I don't know hardly anything about it. And, you know, what little bit you hear, as a, as I heard as a little kid, you know, is bloodhounds that track, you know, four-day-old tracks and find some kid that's lost or something. But, you know, yep. other than a news story like that, yeah, when he called me, Ben, it was, I don't know, just a couple months before that, we had a, an autistic young man that uh, wandered away from home. He wandered up our mountain, and when he took off, like four hours later, a blizzard came in, Oof. and then the temperature dropped from like 30 degrees to 15 below that night. So I have a nephew that's a fireman. A couple of days later, he called me up to come and help. And so I went out there with him. Mm-hmm. And so we did our search for that day. And, and then it snowed that night, which any all sign was gone. But uh, I couldn't help but think, man, if I could bring three of my dogs out here, I think we could find that kid. Yeah. Very possible. So then that guy... Uh-huh. Very possible. I mean, these mountain curs are smart enough to figure stuff out that if you show them or, you know, give them a scent to work, 
I mean, I wouldn't put it past them. A dog that's never, you know, they know how to use their nose. They know how to, they know how to track. And if you give it to them and point them in the right direction, it wouldn't surprise me if they found, found them. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, in the process, that was something he asked me, he said, you run cats. So I'm assuming you run bobcats and lions. And I said, yeah. He said, if you cut out on a bobcat and you cross a lion track, do they ever switch? I said, in, in the 20 years I've been running these, I never had one switch. They stay on what they took off on. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, that's what I need. He had actually, before he called me, he owned a 12-year-old cur that he was impressed with. And that's what kind of put the bug in his ear. Because yeah. he ran that one through some cadaver training. Okay. He's like, I'm not going to pour a bunch of training into a 12-year-old dog. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said most most cadaver dogs, what the dog has a problem with is the dead human smell. Hmm. They Most dogs will do everything they can to avoid that. He said the cur dog didn't bother it. So, yeah, just a whole nother world. But yeah. I kept telling him, you know, with the brains, I'll, I'll breed up the absolute smartest dog I can get you. And uh, I'll put my real strong nose dog breeding in there. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he's, he's been impressed with the intelligence and, and the ability to smell stuff. So. Yep. And that's what's always stood out to me about, about the cur breeds is just their intelligence. Oh. I gotta ask you: Have you ever heard one that points bird? I can't say I've ever heard of one pointing. I mean, I've seen them. I've had mine flush, and I mean, and not even that I've ever trained them to flush. But the one place I coon hunt, they uh, they stock it with pheasants, and the one female she she flushed one on accident, and then all of a sudden it was like, once she flushed it and she realized what happened, then she was on a mission and she went. And flush that same bird a couple different times. <laughs> and it was at night. Like, we were coon hunting. And it was funny. is My buddy actually caught the, the pheasant. Because it was, you know, disoriented with, with being black. And it flies towards a light. So, my buddy actually was able to catch the, the pheasant. Now, they retrieve for you, right? I've never had one that would retrieve naturally um but i've never tried to have them do it and yeah like, i've got not every one of mine does it but most of them do they i i don't know you pick up a ball and throw a ball they'll naturally go out there and you know the first time and they'll want to pick it up some of them will pick it up and bring it back but they won't you know they usually run around with it kind of going yeah this is kind of cool whatever this <laughs> game is yeah but I had a guy I sold a pup to four years ago. He called me a couple months ago. He'd lost these papers and was looking for my authorization with the register. Mm-hmm. And so I asked him, I said, how's that dog working for you? And so he's like, oh, he's treating countless coons for me. And I've caught some bobcats. And when I can get out west, he's a little further east. He said, uh, yeah, I've run eight or ten lions with him. And he said, what he's picked up recently, he points bird. 
So I took a pause. I said, no, that's one I've never heard. You're going to tell me about this. He said, you know, he always kind of fetched. He always fetched, and he would flush birds for me. Um, but he said he was watching my pointer. Mm-hmm. And he said he just imitated my pointer. He said now he cocks his tail up and put, pulls up his paw and points birds. Now that doesn't surprise him, me now. I haven't got a picture yet. But he told me he sent me a picture this fall of his pointing cur. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, but now that you say that he hunted the dog with a pointer, it doesn't surprise me at all. That- <laughs> That's where you're falling short in your training. You yeah. don't have a good example. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> funny i think they'll about do anything yeah they will yeah i have to warn a lot of guys whatever you throw in the back of the truck with that dog you'll start hunting that be careful it's throw back there yep they're gamey as all get out um a friend of mine recently got a mountain curve female and he's he's got a pointer and uh he he's like that dog is the gamiest most gritty dog i've ever hunted with and he hunts uh poodle pointer which is a german versatile breed that's very well bred that's very gritty and he's like that cur is grittier and gamier than her or any other german versatile dog i've ever seen and he you know and he's done some comp some competing and navda and stuff and he's like i've never seen anything compared to that little mountain cur female yeah you know the history on them all this what we're talking about makes sense mm-hmm when they settled this country, that's what they had. That's what their survival was. A lot of what their survival was depending on. Oh yeah. And that's one of the things I love about the different cur breeds is just, you know, they were such a purpose bred dog and it wasn't, it wasn't for looks. It wasn't for anything. It was those dogs put meat on the table. Yep. And it wasn't, they weren't bred like coon hounds that were, you know, coon hounds. They were they were meat dogs. It yep. was whatever. And you know, when I tell people what you throw in the back of the truck, like when I had my first one, he he was I don't know four or five years old, and I trapped bobcats and fox and coyotes and pine nut and all that stuff. But I'd never trapped a beaver, so I started trapping beaver. And I'm throwing him in the back of the truck. The next thing I know, he's he's baying away, barking on top of beaver huts, trying to dig <laughs> them out in river banks. Because he knew you know, wanted it. Oh. Yeah, one day I was up checking beaver traps. A guy, the rancher, called me for a nuisance trapping. And my wife was along with me. And we had, of course, I had the dog with us. And that dog run down in the along the creek and about five minutes later he here he come back he had a baby beaver in his mouth jeez <laughs> he come back come up and he dropped it at my wife's feet looked up at her and spun around and took off <laughs> proud as you could be yeah he's like i got one here for you getting out yeah and that but, that desire to please you just don't find oh, that yeah. in, in a hound and and I think that's what makes mountain curves and a lot of your curb breeds just so much more 
in my opinion, specialists, they they really do have that desire to please you. Where a, a good hound, like you said, they're bred to hunt. It's instinctive. They're hunting because it's that's what they're bred to do. Where these mountain yep. curs, they're hunting because it's instinctive, but at the same point, they're hunting to please you. Yeah. You know, it, that's hard to explain to an older houndsman. Is, um, they fully get that a hound's hunting for themselves, but they, so their measure is, that's the way all dogs are. Mm-hmm. Um, no, these guys totally hunt for you. Yep. Um, that's why when you, when you cut them out on a lion track and they cut three bobcat tracks, they don't take off on those. They're going to finish what, what you sent them to hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with a guy, a search and rescue guy. I want you to find this person. Yeah. That's, that's what you, they got locked in their brain and that's what they're going to do. So, yeah, it's, uh, that's the brain stuff. That search and rescue guy. <laughs> he said, I lived in this house 17 years and I've had several breeds in here. This cur dog figured out how to open my sliding glass door. <laughs> Never had a dog do that. <laughs> Can't imagine and that's very probably, easy for a dog to do it. Yeah. You've probably seen this. It's got uh, gate latches. Mm-hmm. Have you seen them do that? I've seen a few dogs do that. I've, I've even seen a few smart hounds figure gate latches out. Have you Have you watched flip a gate latch when they're watching you? Mm-hmm. And then they'll follow right behind you and lift it. Yeah. Every one of my gates has a chain around it. <laughs> <laughs> Why well, a carabiner in mine usually? Mm-hmm. But I've had them do that. Watch you put that latch, and then, oh, I see what you did. Yep. The other day I had one, and he watched me do that, and he flipped it. And I, yeah, he's a smart aleck. I went over and hung the carabiner in there, and he watched me pinch it, obviously, because he jumped up there and was trying to bite the carabiner open. <laughs> <laughs> Too smart. Yeah, you're like, you got another intelligence level. I'm going to have to keep an eye on you, but mm-hmm. yeah, that's the cur dog world. Yes, it is. Now, one other quick question for you about your cur dogs running cats. Are they silent yep. or do they open? Depends on the dog. Okay. Um, It's about half and half. Mm-hmm. I, I say mine are silent to semi-silent. Okay. Um, I've had them run four or five years, totally silent. And then it's like the fun of it, they can't contain it anymore. So then they start making a little noise on track. Okay. You see that? No, I've never seen that. Yeah, and it could be the difference is in squirrel a lot of times pretty hard to see in a tree. Mm-hmm. But some of these lions, you know, when they run silent, those lions, most of them lions, they're not in a substantial tree. They literally took the first tree they could even grab. Yeah. I've had them up trees where the trunk ain't no more than four or five inches in diameter. Mm-hmm. And the tree's all bent over. 
<laughs> you got a lion hanging there about eight feet up. Yep. You know, that pulls a lot of excitement. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, and then when you get there, they, you know, they're not going to stay there. They're going to go find another tree. So now you got the, the cat jumps out of the tree right in front of them mm-hmm. um, and takes off. And, you know, they run right up to the tree. So. No, the reason I asked is, uh, I know when I talked to Daryl Fry, he said his dog's open, and I've talked to some Stevens guys, and, and a lot of their dogs open. So, I, mm-hmm. but then at the same point, most of the mountain curs I've hunted with out here are silent, or at least semi-silent. So, that's why I was curious as to what they were like on running cats. I got right now my three oldest dogs are ten. Going on 11 and 9, almost 10. Let's see, I got one that's in almost 11 and two almost 10. And out of those, one of them's pretty open on track. Another one is semi-open, and the other guy's still silent. Okay. My younger dogs, I have uh, I have a couple two-year-old males that are, one of them, yeah, he's, semi-open, semi-silent, mm-hmm. and the other one's totally silent. At a tree, uh, he'll bark about every 15, 20 seconds, but okay. he's locked down. But that, you know, that could all change the more stuff they see. Yeah. So the more experience they gain, you know. Mm-hmm. But that's been their nature so far. Okay. A couple of them females. My better females, they're totally silent. Yeah. I mean, even after you get them to tree or like uh, last time I rock bedded one, had a couple of females that wanted to get in that lion's face and they were right on the edge of a cliff. I, I hollered up the cliff at them and get back. Well, they got back a little bit, but they just quit barking even. So they didn't think I knew where they were. <laughs> 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 I can see them up there, you know. They went back. Can you guys get back farther? <laughs> uh, but yeah, you just don't. I didn't want to get them hurt. You, mm-hmm. you know, honestly, I've had one eleven-month-old pup get bit across the top of the head, and that was his first lion. He ran in under a tree, and a cat was wounded, grabbing by the tail. Oof. Cat spun around, bit him across the top of the head. He was fine, walked away. I don't know, a month or so later, he started having grandma seizures. Yeah. Pretty much killed him. But that's the only injury all these years running lines I've ever had with a dog. They just, you get by that first one, they learn. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty good track record then. Yeah. You, you know, when you're, you're dealing with something that's gritty, but he's got a brain too. Yeah. He knows, you know, doesn't get, you don't want to get stupid about this. Be yeah. smart about it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You've never run a lion, I take it. Nope. Never been out west. Furthest west I've been oh, really? is Michigan. Ah. I've run bears. And. You're missing out, oh, man, I'll just tell you. Oh, I, I plan on getting out there. Don't worry. Just uh, 
right now. Life's a little busy with two little kids. It makes uh, you know, a two-week trip out west a little hard. Oh yeah. Once they get I a little I've older. Sold, I've sold three or four dogs over into Minnesota. Those guys go over to. They come over into Montana hunting lions pretty regular. Okay. Have you ever sold a dog to somebody for a bear? Oh yeah. Now how do they do on bear? Yeah, I I got guys in in Canada running bears. Well, there was a guy. Uh, it's hard to stay in contact with everybody. There's a couple oh, yeah. guys in Montana that run bears with them. How they do? I don't know. They run <laughs> a bear goes up the tree. <laughs> they lock down on them just like they would a lion or a squirrel or whatever. Yeah, since it's not legal in Wyoming, and then <clears throat> Martin and Fox Trap over just under Yellowstone Park, all that country over there. Mm-hmm. So I take them along, and their job there is, is to protect me. I'm in and out of my truck 40, 50 times a day. Okay. So, and I don't pack a gun for grizzlies. But, you know, they, when you're trapping, you don't. I just don't want to carry all that stuff. So the dogs there kind of watch my rear end from grizzlies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Been doing yeah. that for 20 years and never had a grizzly problem. There you go. Yeah. One thing I saw on your website that I really wanted to ask you about, and actually um, before I'd seen it on your website, I saw it shared a few different places on Facebook is uh, your pup giveaway. I, I really thought that was, I liked your approach on that. And, uh, I'd, I'd like to little bit, learn a little bit more about that, maybe some of the successes of it. Is this the first time you've done it, or have you been doing this for years? Or No, this was the first time we did that. Um, I started trapping when I was 10 and did it by myself. So after I got <clears throat> a cur dog, I couldn't help but reflect back a little bit on that. It sure would have been nice to have a cur dog to go with you. Mm-hmm and do that so my wife and i've been talking about some way that we could get a young kid that is interested in that same stuff one of these dogs so i actually a couple months after that the vice president of the wyoming trappers association he called me as a kennel guy and was looking to organize uh essentially houndsmen and other hunting groups Mm -hmm come to their convention and try to unify us hunting groups. Yeah. So in the process of that, I told him, I said, you know, actually I've been looking for a, an avenue, a good place to give away a pup to a young kid. And uh, he jumped all over that. He thought that was a great idea. So, yeah, this was our first year. So we had several entrants and an essay, you know, write an essay about hunting experience and what you do out there. So, yeah, we awarded took pup to a little younger 13-year-old girl that very avid hunter and trapper. And so, yeah, I had a lot That's of awesome. fun giving away a pup to somebody like that. Mm-hmm. Now, like I said, I, I, I saw that, a, I don't know, a month or so ago, shared somewhere. You know, it got shared into a houndsman group or something. And I, and I saw that. I was like, That's a pretty cool idea, you know. And I, I liked the essay. like So it wasn't like you're just – given some random kid no they've got to put a little bit of effort and and actually say you know this is what i do and this is how i enjoy the outdoors and how i'm involved yeah yeah 
both my wife and I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, giving that pup away and have the little young lady walk up there and she's red in the face with tears welling up in her eyes and very thankful. And, uh, yeah, just knowing a little bit about her and met her at the convention, you know, and mm-hmm. was there for those two days. Couldn't tell her that she wanted. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, we plan on doing that again. Very cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I said, I really liked the idea, and I think I'd like to do it eventually when I maybe raise another litter is do something like that. Yeah. You know, my approach on that was just like my kennel. I'm not into promoting myself. I I love this breed. I love what they've done in in my life and how just how great a dog they are. I'm more of a, a breed promoter. I think there's a mindset change. You're all in it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not me. So giving something back, yeah, yeah, I think that kind of flows from, you know, the enjoyment. Boy, where somebody else could enjoy one of these as much as I do. So a young kid, mm-hmm. yeah, you kind of change their life a little bit. Oh, definitely. You know? You know, I've sold these to older guys, and, you know, they get back to you, and they're going, this don't change my life. That's kind of humbling. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, this girl that got the pup from you and maybe kids in the future, it kind of sets the hook and sets them on a trajectory to stay in the outdoors and stay hunting and keep up with it, whether that's running dogs or just trapping and hunting another big game. Oh, you know, yeah. We need a, We need all the allies we can get out there. You know that that that's something. If I think it's like anything, if you put out good good stuff, uh, people will refer you to where you can't keep up with whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So if you put out a good dog, and yeah, you won't have to worry about selling dogs. Yeah, so yeah they'll be knocking your door down for them. Mm-hmm. You know, for me. Uh, I get guys ask me why I guarantee them a hundred percent. And I, I tell them, you know, if I sell you a pup and for some reason he don't work for you or work as good as what you're expecting, I guarantee that. So if you leave here and I don't guarantee it, you're the only one that's taking on any risk with that dog. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe in that. So I'll share in the risk with you. Uh, for some reason, if you don't work out, uh, you bring them back or give your money back or get you another pup, whatever you want to do. Yeah, over the years I've done this, I've got one pup back, but it was, there was something neurological and the guy had to put him down. It wasn't uh, that he wouldn't hunt. So it's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of speaks for itself to me anyway. Yeah. Do I expect some time to get one back because he won't hunt? Well, the odds are, yeah, you will. There's no perfect bred dog. It ain't, it's not possible. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. If somebody yeah. had figured that out, they, they'd be pretty well off because we'd all be going to, this, to them. Yeah. Yeah, and you know this. You're a hunting guy. So, many, so much of your dog is what you put in them. It's, oh, yeah. If you can have the best hunting dog in the world, but if you take him out two weekends a year, you're, you, the best you're going to have is an average dog. Mm-hmm. Definitely. 
But I, I know this as a statistic, as a breeder. They, statistics tell me one out of a hundred guys will properly train that dog. Mm-hmm. So unless you're building something that's extremely gamey and picks up stuff real quick, uh, your success rate's not going to be very good. Which obviously, so. that means you're putting some very intelligent gamey dogs out there that can naturally do it. Yeah. Well, and I, that's my hope with most every breeder that, you know, mm-hmm. take it serious. And I think most of them do. The guys I know that do it, yeah, they, they take a lot of pride in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They actually have a good love for the animals. Yeah. Well, we're coming up on an hour, so why don't you give me a good story to close us out? Probably the best cur dog that I had for, it was just pure hunting. That guy, I called him Dash. <clears throat> I took him out at six months old. I caught two feral cats and took him out. He had never seen anything. I threw one out on the ground. I laid him back at a few times, put him back in the truck out of sight so he couldn't see what I was doing. I let that cat go, and I, I only let like a minute pass. I'm going, he's just a young dog. So I threw him out. He ran like 300 yards. Tracked, tracked it down, ran it up the tree. And had my nephew with me. He said, wow, that was pretty impressive for a first one. I said, yeah, we got a second one. Let's, we'll let him go. We'll let him go for 15, 20 minutes. Give him a, give him a good run. Mm-hmm. So he he let that one go. and He ran that one a little over a mile and treated it. I was pretty impressed with my little dog there. Yeah. And... I didn't do nothing with him, and about 11 months old, I was checking bobcat traps. And I was out with my son and my wife and my son's girlfriend, and a boy and I, we walked, topped up over the hill going down the other side, and that dog went off the GPS. And I, and I said, well, either he'll flow over, or when we come back, we'll pick him back up. <clears throat> he was over there, I don't know maybe half mile okay. and come back across and said he was treed. Well, I know there was a coyote, a government coyote trapper out there. I figured the dog had got, got in one of these snares, but I taught the dog about snares. So I wasn't worried about him, but so I toned him a couple of times and he didn't move. We're working our way that way. And my son, all at once, he says, I can hear him barking, dad. So he took off running. He was all excited as we were. He took off. I'm walking. I don't know. I go two, three hundred more yards. There's a lion track. <laughs> <laughs> so we get there. Yeah, he had a hundred and forty pound lion in a tree. Nice. So yeah, but yeah, you know, over the next three weeks, he treed three more. Dang. So. His training was one afternoon with two feral cats, and that's all it took. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. It's just that natural instinct just kicks in. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, yep, good dogs. Yep, definitely. You don't get many of those that are star self-starters like that, totally, yeah. but you get one every now and then. Yep. Well, Perry, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk to me tonight. I, I've enjoyed this. Enjoyed learning about your dogs. You bet. It's always fun talking about them. Definitely. 
Have a good night. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Tree Talking Media. And until next time, keep them talking in the timber.